Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender diverse people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin Nations land and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Priya Kunjan. In this show, I'm joined by Murray historian and activist Dr. Jackie Huggins to discuss the recently published new edition of her profoundly influential book, Sister Girl. Reflections on Todayism, Identity, and Reconciliation, which is out now through the University of Queensland Press. Dr. Huggins is a member of the Bidra and Biri Gabajuru peoples and is currently leading the work for treaty or treaties in Queensland. Her prolific career spans decades in the public service and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peak bodies, as well as her well-known contributions as an historian and author. Today, Dr. Huggins reflects on the original publication of Sister Girl in 1998 and where we stand 24 years on with respect to key issues including the strength of Aboriginal women, race relations in feminism, and Indigenous leadership. Before we jump into this discussion about Sister Girl, I was wondering if you would like to introduce yourself in a little more detail to our listeners. Yes, certainly. Uh, My name is Jackie Huggins. I was born in Air North Queensland. I am a Bidjara, Birigaba, Juru woman from North and uh, Central Queensland. I've lived in Brisbane most of my life, but I've uh, travelled around, of course, places like Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne, and, uh, you know, I've had a, a, a very broad experience in, in uh, government, non-government organisations and the broader range, I would say about 40 uh, years of work within Aboriginal affairs. So it's been um, a fairly lengthy time with its ups and downs, of course, but nevertheless, I'm still here to, to talk about it. Yeah, and I mean, it really is a wealth of experience that informs the writing that is collected in this updated version of Sister Girl, which you've made the time to talk with us about today. And this includes both your original explorations of identity, activism, feminism, leadership, and community work that was published in 1998, as well as a collection of some of that later writing and orations that further develop these themes across your quite prolific career. So Something that I found clearly underpinned that collection, and which is echoed in the title, is the strength of Aboriginal women. And I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on honouring Aboriginal women and the strong relationships between Aboriginal women through, as you put it in your reflections on writing your mother's biography, The Liberated, writing about The Liberated. Yes, well, I think it's fairly foundational of where I start. I'm... um the daughter of a very strong mother and granddaughter of a very strong grandmother who um, I guess she actually she passed when I was fairly young, my uh, grandmother, but my mother carried on this whole legacy of, uh, you know, the, the very typical strong Aboriginal woman. When my father died in the uh, 1950s, my mother took on four children as a single mother and uh, she she read us up, and her story, of course, is um, written down in my book, Auntie Rita, in 1996. I hope to do a, a reversion, uh, a revamp of that too in the next year or so. But, you know, the strength, I think, of Aboriginal women is embedded as part of your DNA, and um, 
we tend to carry that on. And I know many strong Aboriginal women across the country who uh, who do that. In fact, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know that I would know too many women who have not fought for their families, fought for their children, fought for the um, social justice and the rights of Indigenous people. It may not have been in a public way, but certainly in a, in a way in which many of us carry that that legacy with us. And uh, for me, I've been very fortuitous in that I've been able to have a platform by which I can write and speak about issues that you know, many of our Aboriginal women would probably never find the, the place to, uh, to talk about or write about those things. So in a way, my, you're right, my previous experience has really informed who I am and what I do and the kinds of positions I can hold and I guess to be a voice for our people when required, you know. I think one of the very best pieces of advice that uh, I got from actually as a media advisor, don't jump into every dogfight because you will wear yourself out and you will become very overloaded and you'll burn yourself out. So I've sort of kept that in mind and... You know, I do say no to a few things, and it's about pacing yourself. And for Aboriginal women, uh, you know, we have so many responsibilities that burden us at times that we have to, you know, do a bit of self-care and um, make sure that we're actually being taken care of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really leads into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is your groundbreaking writing around the relationship between the women's movement and Aboriginal women and uh, a really memorable inclusion in both the original and updated version of Sister Girl is that transcript of your conversation with African-American feminist Bell Hooks, who's sadly no longer with us. And you discussed the ways in which white women needed to be prepared to give up power I'm wondering if you could reflect on whether there's been any kind of shift in the dynamic of these issues of racial exclusion and anti-blackness in the feminist movement in 2022 compared to, you know, the time of publication of that original version. Yes, well, uh, I started writing about this stuff in the 1980s. So a fair while ago, we were very invisible in those days and there'd been struggles before that of Aboriginal women in the 60s and 70s, but, you know, basically just getting ignored, not getting any traction and, um, you know, being put on the back burner in the white feminist movement. And so I became very, very angry about that. And there were no Aboriginal women that I could look to who were writing uh, that stuff. So I turned to the US where I discovered great writers like Audre Lorde, Alice Walker, and of course, the wonderful Bell Hooks, who I studied through my university times. I was very fortuitous, thanks to Nicholas Joseph from the ABC Coming Out show, to be part of an interview with her, because we were basically doing the same sorts of theorising, but also ways in which we could see that we would be able to have a better relationship. Well, certainly, that was for me. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it was for Belle. <laughs> but um, I thought, well, you know, how do we break this? Because all the women that were in power in those days were white women, you know, and they were very much associated with 
white men of power. And unfortunately, we were being excluded and, and left out. So the 1980s and 90s for me were kind of really years where I, I tried to get some messages across but be informed by those black women from the States who really helped me crystallise in my head what that might look like. So Bell Hooks was a, a major influence in my life. Um, I was very lucky to meet her some 25 years ago when I was on a writer's tour um, I met her in London. She was giving a talk there. And the next day I went back to meet her and have a cup of tea with her. But uh, little did I know, I thought, oh, gosh, this is fabulous, you know. Mm-hmm. She's actually um, making sure she sees me, of all people. But then um, when I showed up, she had a diary of on the hour, every hour, for women who particularly wanted to come and see her and talk to her. So, you know, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it was one of the great highlights of my time. It's always a struggle, you know. It it really is because as recently as June Oscar's report, which I referred to in Sister Girl, it's a report that was done 34 years later than the women's business report of which I was part of the organisation of that too and and writing uh, that report. And it pointed out all the struggles of First Nations women here in Australia and what we might do. Yet, you know, that's a, that's a report I think that deserves far more attention because it is an absolute blueprint for, you know, how we can forward uh, our progress together. Women's on the line. <laughs> Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> In those days, in the 80s, you know, there were some migrant women who came to conferences and so forth but really weren't given opportunities or power to speak. And with Aboriginal women, we had to fight our way through that to get heard on conferences and forums. It's less so now, I think, less so. But, you know, I don't think people will dare to exclude us from those kind of discussions. But I still hear from young black women, especially on... International Women's Day, that um, you know they're not invited to participate or to be included, or you know the topic is so far off our struggles that they don't seem to want to to be involved. But um, yeah, I hear this quite often from younger Black women in our communities, and there's still that fight. You know, there's still that fight also for women of a different diversity to really jump on and. and to be involved. I mean, there are certain exceptions around that. Organisations like Women of the World, I think, are doing a good job in terms of unifying and including our women. We had Oxfam, who was the organisation that ran the training program, which um, Michelle Deschamps ran, Straight Talk, and that was about looking at getting Aboriginal women and Torres Strait Islander women into politics. And way back, I remember Amanda Vanstone actually gave some money to run an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women's leadership course. That would have been about 2004, 2007, and that went on under the great leadership of a woman called Kerry Tim, who was a senior bureaucrat, an Aboriginal woman from Queensland. Uh, she ran those programs. And, you know, I still meet those women who say, 
that leadership program helped me in so many ways. I'm now a CEO of an organisation. I'm on the board or I'm on the chair of organisations. So that's really, um, you know, it's really good to hear after all those years. Yeah, and the new inclusions in this version of Sister Girl also really speak to the achievements and a lot of the work that has happened that you've been involved with since that original publication. And things have been difficult and hard fought. And you've spoken quite frankly in those pieces and orations about where things have gone right and where things have gone wrong. And I was hoping to hear a bit about how you selected the newer pieces to complement the original collection. Yeah, sure. Well, a third of the book is around the newer pieces. And I wanted it to kind of flavour, in fact, the work that I've been doing over the, the many years. And a lot of it was, you know, political organisations that I've been involved with. And to take forward that reconciliation thing too, I think, which is very important. And that's around, you know, still educating people. But I think we've got a lot more supporters around than we ever had in the 80s. And also, you know, the high incarceration rates of particularly Aboriginal women, I wanted to make sure that was in there. And stuff around racism is still so endemic in our society. I wanted uh, pieces on that. But also orations that I've done that have really explored those themes of mostly reconciliation and identity. Less so have I done the real heavy feminist, titterist, titterism stories now. I think they blend in, in fact, to all that I write about anyway. And this one, uh, which was very ably helped by my publisher, the University of Queensland Press. I gave them the whole assortment and outlined that and they helped me choose around the various themes that might make it, you know, readable but interesting to, to people too. It's also, uh, Priya, one of those books where you can just pick out, you know, a certain topic that you're interested in, perhaps and come back. It's not done in a chronological or a a kind of subject matter style. It's just done to, you know, to show people the kind of various uh, components, I guess, of my life, but certainly the struggles that I've been in and still am in uh, to this day. You're listening to Women on the Line on your local community radio station. I've been speaking with Dr. Jackie Huggins about the updated release of her classic collection, Sister Girl. Let's return to that conversation. It is really beautiful to see some of those later pieces incorporate and build on insights that you were building in the 1980s and 1990s and showing, you know, how that thinking has been developed through your work in the public sphere and in policy. I guess turning to to what you're reading right now, I was hoping to hear about things that you're reading, especially young black women writers whose work you've been enjoying. Yes, well, look, I've been reading quite a few books over the uh, Christmas and uh, New Year break. I must say to you, though, sometimes you like a change from uh, (laughs) being in in, in a space, and it's great to see so many more young and old, you know, mid-career writers that are Indigenous women who are just writing their stories as well. But would you believe I have just finished your ABC Lisa Miller's biography. I'm a big fan of biography, autobiography particularly. You know, I find it just so real and so raw at times. 
but I do love biography um, books to read and so forth. So I thought Lisa's book was very fine. She talked about the fear of flying, her duty as a foreign correspondent. So I kind of went off and read this, but I think it's really interesting and it should be, uh, you know, people should read wider as well about other things because whilst I do love the Indigenous side, I, I can tend to get really uh, stuck there sometimes. And we have so much variety now in terms of, you know, poetry, in terms of analytical stuff, historical fiction. You know, there's a whole there's a whole lot of genres. I think I am still the only one who's ever written a book like this, like Sister Girl, which is more essay type book. Now, when I wrote this and I was writing those pieces in the 80s, that was a time when there were books out by black writers and people are older than me, like there'd be Herb Orton and uh, Ujiru and others that were writing, Doris Pilkington, Marnie Kennedy. They were writing their life stories, you know, and there was a very popular genre there. Now it's a more eclectic range of stories, fiction. You know, there were hardly any fiction writers I think, back in those days, but there certainly is now, you know. Younger and middle-term writers who are writing there. I mean, you know, the probably the most famous names are around uh, Anita Heiss, Melissa Lukashenko and uh, Larissa Barrett, you know. I've read um, most of their works, in fact. And, you know, we see there's younger writers are coming through, Tara June Winch, Chelsea Bond, you know, there's a whole range. And we're all writing in our different kind of styles, too, which I find really really fascinating because uh, yeah it's good it's good to have that diversity but um, I'm I'm really enjoying reading all of them at the moment and will continue to do so and I think I've got a well I do have a piece in Cisco that says now I'm going to hand the pen over to you well it certainly has happened and that kind of writing will continue to shine I believe from uh, black women writers. You mentioned really enjoying reading biography, and I know that you've also got a forthcoming biography of your father, which is Jack of Hearts, QX11594, coming out this year. You reflected a lot in Sister Girl about the process of writing about your mother's life and the opportunity to go through some of that work with her. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the process of writing about your father's life and how that compares to, to your mother's biography. Yes, well, the first thing is that, of course, I had my mother with me when I wrote her book, Auntie Rita, and that was published in 1996. So I had her voice, I had her story, I had her emotions, I had her physical being with me, sitting down doing a recording on tapes in those days. That was really a very beautiful experience for me, of course. You know, it was not one without our fights. We would have an argument and turn the tape off for three weeks and then get back onto it. <laughs> um, but they were loving fights. And as I say, it's about the mothering tongue. My mother used to say, we've got the mothering tongue here. But I absolutely, you know, adored my mother. And she used to say, you know, I really want this book out before the inevitable happens and we did we got it out 14 months before that so I had a wonderful time with the launches and putting it out there in my father's case he died when I was two 
but I remember him so well in terms of the stories my mother passed down to me. So she would talk about our father every day and never let us forget him. Do I have memories of him? Yes, I do, of him putting me on his shoulders and walking through our door in um, our home in Ayres, North Queensland. A very strong, calming, beautiful man. He was a prisoner of war in the Burma-Thailand railway. He died at the age of 38. Uh, but he came home and fathered three healthy children, met and married my mum, who both of them very different circumstances. My mum was off a mission, from Sherberg Aboriginal Mission. My dad was a free man from air. So when they met, I guess their stories came together, and I write that. I wanted to write about the process of that also. I've written a book with my sister, Nairi Jaro. Both of us went to Singapore and Thailand to research the book, and that was a fascinating experience as well. You know, I often think, oh, I wish I could have taken my mother to those places that we'd seen where our father was actually held and where he stayed. And so the process was doing one through a lot of memory, but also historical records from the military. I had to, of course, look at uh, World War Two, and that was very much aided and abetted by uh, a very uh, good friend, Katrina Cattell, who helped us write that as well. She's a librarian, teacher, researcher, who went through a whole heap of records at the Australian War Memorial and other places for that. So uh, really relied on her expertise and the way in which you know we were able to do that. But very proud of Jack of Hearts, QX11. 594, which is his service number, and we wanted to write, uh, like Auntie Rita and Jack of Hearts, probably two companion books that will stand the, the test of time, one would hope. But it was amazing writing this book with my sister, and the first one with my mother, so it shows, you know, the strength of black women, and how we're able to, you know, make a beautiful product out of it, but also you know, delve into some of the very deep issues around our people, uh, our people's struggle, our people's joys and uh, what they overcome. So um, all up, you know, very, very proud of both books. And I think, as I said, I probably might hand the pen over to some of the younger writers now, but I've still probably got a couple more books left in me, I think, before I finish my writing career. So I do enjoy writing fact, I love it. So um, it's got to be in the zone, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are very glad to hear that you feel that you've got a couple more books in you. And I know we're really looking forward to seeing your father's biography come out this year. So just to finish up, where can people get a copy of Sister Girl? Look, I believe it's in most bookstores now, you know. A friend of mine found one in Castle, Maine three weeks ago. And I've been rung up by people all the time to say that they have a book. Online, of course, you can get it through the UQP website, but also I noticed if you Google Jackie Huggins, you'll find, you'll, you'll find a copy of it there available. Dr. Huggins, again, thank you so much for making the time to talk through some of your experiences, your incredible life and work, and, uh, yeah, just really appreciate being able to speak with you. Thanks very much, Priya. 
Today's program featured a conversation with Dr. Jackie Huggins, a member of the Bidjara and Berigabajuru peoples and well-known historian and author. Dr. Huggins joined me to speak about the updated release of Sister Girl, Reflections on Tideism, Identity and Reconciliation, published by the University of Queensland Press. In the interview, Dr. Huggins referred to a report by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner June Oscar. This is the Women's Voices Report, which was published by the Australian Human Rights Commission and tabled in federal parliament in December 2020. You can find it at the Australian Human Rights Commission's website, humanrights.gov.au. That's all we have time for today on Women on the Line. Thanks so much for listening. Women on the Line is produced and presented by women and gender diverse people in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on unceded Kulin Nations land. Women on the Line is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network and is made possible with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Past episodes can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station. For now, I'll leave you with this classic track, Sister Girl by Oetha. Genocide combined, tell them in the darkness, resilience thrives with an unmatched beauty and fire in her eyes. She burns as bright as the stars in the sky, cause the warrior spirit is very hard to come by. So when they ask what's a woman's worth, you say the greatest gift alive on earth. Uh, uh. Beautiful queen that I've ever seen, holding it down for your family. On your grind, you always being real on the inside. Earth and fire, shine and star. Sister girl, 
black diamond shining bright. I see you carry yourself with beautiful pride. Giving hope, raising kids for our future. A smile without a reason, you're a gift of a teacher. You're the strongest woman that I've ever seen. Work hard, projecting positivity. Holding it down, I'm grown in that tapestry. Giving room to dream, no silver spoon to feed. Baby girl, be proud, make the best choice in life. Keep your head up, this is my only advice. Your love stirs in the belly of the streets. Careful what you learn, finding your inner peace. You're more loud than you could possibly see. Like a rose grew in these concrete scenes. Each day there's hope, always remember. I got your back in any type of weather. Beautiful queen that I've ever seen. Holding it down for your family. On your grind, you always smile. Being real on the inside. Earth and fire, shining star. Essence to stand wherever you are Hold the seeds of birth You're the queen of mother This is for my sisters on the streets Feeling broken but why give it to their feet Keep your head up And this is for my single moms at home Raising baby all alone Cause that's gonna keep your head up And this is for my independent girls That be taking on the world Not a father, keep your head up And this is for my frontline women Who've been there from the beginning Stand tall and keep your head up You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.